Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that tonight you will help us to learn from the example of the apostles. But more importantly, may we be receptive to what you want to teach us. Please open our hearts that we might respond to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you watch episodes of Mr. Bean. If you do, you'll know that he's somebody who never gives up. If he encounters a problem, he's not demoralized. He simply gets on with the task in hand. And so, in the example on the screen, I've taken some screenshots from a Mr. Bean cartoon. And you'll see that as he's doing his washing up, he drops his crockery on the floor and it smashes. But that doesn't stop him. He simply gets in his car and goes off to the shop to buy some more. As you can see from the picture there, his car soon starts backfiring. And despite increasing amounts of smoke coming out from the exhaust and hassle from the car behind, he simply keeps on going until the inevitable happens and his car engine explodes. But even that does not deter him. He merely shrugs his shoulders, gets out, and pushes it to the nearest garage. But ultimately, even Mr. Bean needs help from someone outside himself. In this particular case, he needs a rather ugly-looking garage mechanic to fix the problem, and his car needs a new engine. In our reading tonight, the apostles are carrying out the task that Jesus has given them. They are being his witnesses. It's not an easy job. It's a task they embrace with amazing perseverance but they know that their perseverance alone isn't enough. They need help from someone outside themselves. Their perseverance needs to work hand in hand with the power of God. If you haven't got your Bibles open, can you open them at page 1097? And from the very start of our reading... In that first section, verses 12 to 16, we see the apostles' perseverance and God's power working together. If you've been here in previous weeks, you'll know that in chapter 4, verse 18, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, forbid Peter and John to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And yet, here they are in Solomon's colonnade. They're in the temple precincts. They're under the very noses of the religious leaders. This is as in your face as you can get. Yes, not everyone dared join them, but the apostles were there. But in those verses, 
we also see the power of God. He enables the apostles to perform miraculous signs and wonders. And yes, we've looked in previous weeks at how these are unique times in the history of the church. God is establishing his church. He's authenticating the role of the apostles. And no, we don't see signs and wonders in the same way today. Although I do believe that God can still heal people. But just as in this passage, God gives the apostles boldness. He opens the hearts of more and more men and women to believe in Jesus. So that same power is available to us today. And you might also remember that in chapter 4, verse 29, the disciples asked God to enable them to speak his word with great boldness. And that's exactly what's happened. I don't know if you've noticed as we've been working through the book of Acts just how central prayer is. In chapter 1, verse 4, the apostles join constantly in prayer. In chapter 6, we're going to learn that they want to give their attention to prayer. And here we see that when God's people pray, God works. We've all been given a bookmark tonight. If you haven't filled it in, do fill it in. Are we persevering in praying for five people? I don't know if recently you heard Justin Welby talking on the news of how he discovered that someone had been praying for him for 19 years before he became a Christian. Are we persevering? Are we coupling that perseverance with the boldness that's prepared to issue an invitation? And if that invitation is turned down, do we carry on praying? Yes, prayer can be a joy, but it can also be a discipline. There are times when we need to work at it. But prayer is powerful. As we come to the second section of our passage, verses 17 to 42, we see the same cycle over and over again. We see the apostles encountering a problem. We see God's power overcoming the problem. And then we see... My clicker doesn't want to work. Can you take over, please, Andy? (laughs) And we see the apostles' perseverance in the face of that problem. So, in verse 17 of chapter 5, I think you're going to have to take over. That's being temperamental. We have the first problem. The high priest and the Sadducees are filled with jealousy. And so they put the apostles in jail. Things are heating up. You might remember that in chapter 4, they were disturbed. Now they're jealous. In chapter 4, they arrest Peter and John. Now they've arrested all the apostles. 
But then we see the power of God. He sends an angel to open the prison doors and let them out. Although I think once more we do need to realize that these are unique times in the history of the church. God is establishing his church and he doesn't always rescue with an angel. Yes, of course, the Bible affirms that angels exist. But here we have a situation where Jesus has entrusted the message of the gospel to the apostles and we've got every single apostle in jail, possibly facing death. The whole gospel message is at stake. It needs a miraculous intervention by God. And so today, I believe God provides what we need for the situations that we find ourselves in. We might not always be rescued, but as we witness for him, he does give us strength. We do find a a special sense of his presence when we need it most. And then we see the amazing perseverance of the disciples. They've only just escaped from jail. They probably haven't had a good night's sleep. And yet, they're back in the temple courts at daybreak. They're doing exactly what the angel has told them to. They're proclaiming the message of new life. They haven't treated themselves to a lie-in. They've experienced a problem They've seen God's power at work and they're busy proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But then the problem simply resurfaces. We noticed as the passage was read that the high priest and his associates have actually been made to look a bit foolish. They put the apostles in jail. They send to the jail for the apostles and they're not there. You can imagine them feeling a bit red-faced, perhaps Luke writing it with a bit of a smile on his face. But of course, the apostles are soon located, still persevering in the task they've been given. In fact, they've now filled Jerusalem with their teaching. And so they're made to appear before the Sanhedrin, the very court that had handed Jesus over to Pilate, the court that had forbidden them to teach in Jesus' name. And this time we see the apostles' perseverance and God's power working hand in hand. They persevere because they're compelled to obey God and because they trust completely in the power of the gospel. It's not their message. It's God's. I wonder if you noticed the emphasis on God in those verses. The apostles say, you killed Jesus, but God raised him. God has exalted him. God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey. The gospel is about God's work in history. 
It's not a human invention. Luke is a careful historian. The apostles are witnesses to what God has done. The Holy Spirit has transformed them from men locked in an upper room to men who can't stop speaking about Jesus. And just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit has the power to convict men and women of the truth of the gospel. And it's the apostles' trust in that that leads them not to do the obvious thing in front of the Sanhedrin and defend themselves, but to carry on speaking of Jesus. They want everyone to know that he is Prince and Saviour and that forgiveness and repentance are available through him. I wonder if you're sitting here tonight thinking, I still don't quite understand that message. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? How can he offer forgiveness to me? If that's you, then please speak to me after the service or speak to Richard or to anyone sitting near you who you know is a Christian. We'd love to talk to you a bit further and share a bit more about what Jesus has done for each one of us. If you are a Christian, then I think we need to be clear about what that message is. Peter and the apostles knew that Jesus was at the centre of it. I know I once worked with a man who was completely fired with a passion for evangelism. He'd recently become a Christian, and he took every opportunity he could to speak of it, which was very admirable. But unfortunately, he didn't always go about it in the right way. So he would sit in the staff room and he'd observe things that non-Christian members of staff were doing and he would sit there and say, that's not right, the Bible says so. And then unfortunately at the end of his sentence he would then add, that's right, isn't it, Margaret? And I would sit there knowing that on the one hand I couldn't deny what scripture says, and on the other hand I really didn't want to reinforce his negative view of what it means to be a Christian. Let's remember that our message is one in which Jesus is central. And if you need help to do that, then do pick up the book that Richard introduced you to earlier on the bookstall, It gives some very practical suggestions of how to turn conversations to Jesus. I think as well it's a message that stems from our own realisation of all that Jesus has done for us. Peter and the apostles had watched Jesus die. They'd met the risen Jesus. They knew the power of the Holy Spirit. It was an ever-present reality in their lives. And I wonder sometimes if we've been a Christian for a long time, if we just start to take it all just a little bit for granted. Sometimes I think we need just to take time to come back to the foot of the cross and just to remember afresh everything that Jesus has done for us.
and to remember just the difference he made in our lives when we first came to know him. As we do that, our desire to share the gospel is deepened. But then, of course, in our reading, the apostles now have an even greater problem. Before, their hearers were jealous. Now, they're furious. They want to put the apostles to death. And this time, we see God's power over the situation in a very different way. He uses someone who isn't a Christian to persuade the court to let the apostles go. Gamaliel is a respected Pharisee. You might remember that Saul was one of his pupils. The apostles have said, we must obey God. And Gamaliel says, if this message really is from God, then nothing this court can do can stop that message spreading. And if Gamaliel's words are right, then the fact that no one has ever been able to stop the spread of the gospel tells us that that message is from God. It's powerful. It's a message that has its origins in God and not in men. A message in which Jesus is central. I wonder if you noticed in verse 40, it tells us that the apostles are told not to speak in the name of Jesus. And in verse 42, they rejoice because they've suffered disgrace for the name. The name of Jesus still has power today. I don't know about you, but I find people are quite happy for me to talk about church. That's just Margaret's thing. They ask me questions about reader training. But if we talk about Jesus, we get a different reaction. I know when I was teaching, we had a minister who used to come into school and she taught the children songs. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. And everyone sang and everyone was happy. And then one week she came in and she taught them a song about Jesus dying on a cross. And members of staff, more than one member of staff, went and complained to the head teacher and said, this message isn't suitable for children to hear. And that minister was prevented from coming into school again. The name of Jesus is powerful. It evokes a response, sometimes a negative one, sometimes a positive one. But unless we speak of Jesus, the forgiveness that the disciples speak about in verse 31 can never be a reality. Finally, in this passage, we see the amazing perseverance of the apostles. They've been flogged. That means receiving 40 lashes minus one. They're bleeding, lacerated, and yet they are rejoicing. And what are they doing? They're persevering in proclaiming the message of Jesus. Day after day, they never stopped. They defied orders. They faced a court that had handed Jesus over to death. They knew the possibility of death themselves, and yet they carried on speaking 
of Jesus. We don't face the trials that they did. Yet, in the face of ridicule, embarrassment, wanting to be liked, wanting to be one of the crowd, we remain silent. And I know I can think of times when I have been silent and I should have spoken. I do think, though, that there is a right way and a wrong way of going about perseverance. The wrong way keeps on ramming the gospel down someone's throat long after they've rejected it. The apostles speak to the Sanhedrin in chapter 4. They do so again in the chapter we've just read, chapter 5. And Stephen addresses them in chapter 6. And we see Paul defending himself in front of them at the end of Acts. But actually, what we see after chapter 6 is the Holy Spirit guiding the apostles and the gospel spreading out from Jerusalem. Yes, of course we need to persevere in prayer, but I think there are times when we need to move on and ask God to show us those whose hearts are open. But... Being persistent in the right way means when we have a negative experience, we don't allow it to stop us wanting to share the gospel. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. You might have heard the story of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, When he was out on the streets speaking of Jesus, he was spat at, and one of his fellow soldiers wanted to wipe the spit off his jacket. And he said, no, don't do that. It's a medal for Jesus. We're not likely to be spat at, but I wonder if we treat the words of others a bit like a muzzle, rather than a medal. We have a negative experience, and so we stop looking for opportunities. And even when an opportunity presents itself, we take the easy option, and we simply keep quiet. The apostles spoke of Jesus. They encountered problems, but they didn't give up. Their perseverance and God's power worked hand in hand and more and more men and women believed in Jesus. Perseverance by itself can only ever be human effort. But when it goes hand in hand with God's power, with prayer, with the power of the Holy Spirit and that powerful message of Jesus, Lives are changed. I wonder tonight if you've allowed Jesus to change your life. Do you know the new life and the forgiveness that he offers? And if you do, have you grasped hold of that power that God has given us and given him the opportunity to work through you to change the lives of others.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight asking for your forgiveness for the times when we know we've let you down and we haven't spoken of Jesus when we should have done. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to realize afresh the power of the message power that the Holy Spirit gives us. May we be bold. Give us courage to speak. May we have the joy of seeing more and more men and women coming to know you for the first time. That as a church, we might have the joy of welcoming new believers among us. For the glory of your name. Amen.